Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us, and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Welcome to episode 4 of series 2 of an Interview podcast. Big shout out to Shore Baron Cafe in Clarny and Vintry Harbour Asset Management for the continued support. We really appreciate it guys and thank you so much. This week we're delighted to be joined by former Mayo GA star Alan Freeman. Freeman is now based in Dubai working as a business development manager with French company Viola. The five-time conic winner brings a wealth of experience to Dubai-based GA club Dubai Kills. We have a huge amount to cover, so let's bring him on. Hi, Alan. Um, welcome to the Inside View podcast, and I'd like to thank you for taking time out. I know you have a lot going on at the moment. How are you keeping? Yeah, no problem, Jimmy. Yeah, keeping well, keeping all right. Good, good, good. Um, so, look, I suppose we, we know you're, you're obviously over in Dubai for, um, at the moment. Um, you have been the last couple of years. So let's, uh, you know, let's kind of discuss about now, and we'll bring it back to the start. So, can you explain how you ended up in Dubai, um, and did you change company, or were you with the same company since since you were in Ireland? Yeah, so I suppose when, when I graduated from DIT, I got a job with a company called Dalkia, um, French company. Um, at the time, I got uh, my first job with them was stationed in Balana in Coca-Cola as an energy project engineer, I suppose. So I spent a few years there, and then I moved up to the head office in, in Dublin and it rebranded to a company called Veolia, who are a much bigger um, French company, and they have a, a base out here in the Middle East as well. So that's, that's essentially how it happened. One step from Balana, step to, step to Dublin, and then I had, some, I had met some of the guys that, that worked out here and just happened to come on holidays one, one winter and met them, and next thing you know, there was... a an opportunity of a job and um, I, I took a chance and you know if I did it. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And tell us look about yeah, so you you're obviously you're playing with Mayo at the time, um, and we'll discuss about that soon. But when you came over to Dubai, what was the you know the initial shock like? What was it like? Was it as you expected or was it completely different? Um, it was a major shock to the system, but I was here, I was in Dubai on holiday with Mayo at the end of 2012 into early 13. Uh, we had a team holiday here and that was my first time coming here. It was a remarkable place at that time. And then myself and Jessica, my girlfriend, came here on holiday at the end of 2018. Um, and I was also here for, for work one time in the meantime between the two of them. So I was quite, uh, I, I knew the place uh, a little bit at that time. Um, I knew my way around and I knew downtown and I knew JLT and the marina and the main spots. So from that point of view, I was a little bit familiar with Dubai. Uh, but from a work point of view, it was totally different. It's completely out of my comfort zone. I was first day in the office, well, straight off the plane into the office the next day. And you're into a, an office where you have 20, 25, 26 different nationalities um, and one, one Irish guy in the middle of it. Um, so from that point of view, it was totally different. And then, as you know yourself, you have to get 
your residency visa set up and even to get a car you can't do anything without your id and um yeah like the, the first couple of months weren't easy at all but a big culture shock even dealing with with, with people it's totally different uh, so kind of familiar with it but but uh, totally out of my comfort zone as well the point of dealing with people um i don't think it's something you can ever really prepare yourself to with you know to what to expect until you're over here because obviously you're dealing with natives you're dealing with people from the middle east and all that it's extremely difficult isn't it especially your accent isn't too bad but my accent is extremely strong so they don't know what i'm on about half the time yeah yeah well i've been working with french people i suppose since i joined the company so i've, I've learned to, to speak a little bit slower with them uh, because sometimes they, they can never understand what, what i'm saying either but yeah, I think culturally and, and dealing with different cultures, it's 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 a shock initially, and then you get to used to the demands, and they want everything now. And, and you know, I'd be quite a patient type of fellow, any fellow anyway. Um, I would normally be patient, but sometimes your your patience uh, run quite thin here uh, compared to to what it would would have been like at home, uh, in in my experience so far. And how are you finding, you know, it's, 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 it's a great adjustment that, uh, you know, you're finished work in Ireland or whatever time in the evening and you'll be, um, you'll be, you know, avoiding the puddles on the side of the street and on the footpath, but over here you have the sun and all that. It's, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the weather, the weather is, is fantastic. Um, this time of the year, especially during the summer now, it's, it's difficult. It's, uh, you can't do a whole lot outside, as you know yourself, and, mm-hmm. and the temperatures are, are high day and night. But uh, for eight or nine months of the year, yeah, it's, it's very nice and you can always rely that you're not going to get a wet day or, or a windy day. Um, definitely, definitely not, definitely 100%. And look, one thing I found very interesting, and I think it's good to get an insight into it, and it's, um, it's probably much more common now um, than it was probably back, you know, when you used to after your inter-county career. But you have... You have two masters, but you know I did a masters as well, and the time constraints is absolutely crazy. You know it does take up a lot of time, especially with the thesis. How did you balance that? And you know I'm playing intercounty football. Um, it was tough, but probably playing intercounty football was a reason I stayed in college that, that long. Um, when I finished my undergraduate, a lot of my friends, well, we we finished undergraduate in 2010. Uh, did it in Quanti Savane, so there was very few jobs in, in Ireland at that time, and a lot of my friends in, in that college class would have went to London, would have went to North America, would have went to Australia and different places, and the reason I stayed on and, and kept studying was, was to do with football and, and being around to play football. Um, yeah, it's time-consuming, uh, plus we, we, I was up in DIT at the time, so we were travelling back home for, for football as well. Um, the first one, John O'Mahony was manager, and in fairness, he was he was uh, lenient enough when we, were, when we were playing Sigerson, we were playing Sigerson, and actually same with James when I was in in 2011 and 12 with him, he was, he'd common sense to, to let us play Sigerson football while we were there, so we weren't up and down the country all the time, so then you finish Sigerson in whatever, February or March, and then you have whatever, six weeks where you're traveling up and down, and, and then you're home base for the summer, so I didn't actually find college too hard to manage to manage my time too much because even the thesis or the dissertation was done during the summer, so I was living at home, home doing that. 
Uh, I found it more difficult when you were working in Dublin, Monday to Friday, and trying to get up and down for training, personally. Yeah. Yeah, and how was that commute back and forth? Obviously, I suppose on the Friday it wasn't too bad because you know you had the weekend at home, but on the you know during the week that must have been quite difficult on the body, was it? Ah, it was, yeah, yeah. Well, I spent uh, right. So my first two years at Mayo was in Dublin and in college. The next two I was at home working in Ballina, and then the last few I was in Dublin again. So, um, yeah, it, it was very tough, like and. You can see any of the, the guys that, that travel up from, from Mayo or Galway or Donegal, Kerry, these comp- these counties that, 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 that have the long commutes. It's very hard. Like we used to leave work. And in fairness, there was a good GA connection in, in my work. So they were lenient and, and let me go. Uh, didn't hold me back at all. So you would leave work, I don't know, probably at lunchtime or shortly after lunchtime to, to get out to Lucan to, to get down to down to Castlebar generally. On a Tuesday, you might leave it. I don't know, Two o'clock or, or half two when you get back up to your your house probably one a.m. Uh, sometimes later, but that I found that very hard. And then you're up the next day trying to make up it, and then you're in the gym that evening. So I think a lot of people have spoke about it before. Uh, so that was difficult. Then Friday you'd have to leave early as well to get down to Castlebar for from seven or eight o'clock, um, and then uh, you're you're around for the weekend, um, and then after training Sunday you're you're back up the road. So I found I found the traveling difficult. Um, Found it hard to recover after training as well. It'll take a couple of days because you're hopping into a car straight away for, for three hours. That, that part of it was, was hard for me yeah. and, and hard for, for a lot of other lads as well. I suppose it's at the stage as well when, you know, before these recovery boots and all that probably came into play. Um, and, you know, I suppose protein shakes, although you probably would have been doing protein, protein shakes and all that back then, but... Um, yeah, the recovery must have been, you know, quite difficult. And do you have any after effects of the lack of proper recovery during those those days, if you know what I mean? Um, no, 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 no lasting effects. Just uh, tired and uh, sore back. Sore the, the, the next night. <laughs> uh, but no, luckily enough, I was injury wise, I was pretty lucky uh, throughout my career. Bar a couple of broken bones, I, I was uh, very lucky. And how, how before we, we kind of bring it back to before you came over, um, how did your perception differ from the reality of Dubai? Because I know you, you said you're over at different stages, but when you started living here, how did that differ to, to, to what it really is like? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Uh, for me, like I found the work and life very different. Um, and the pace of life here very, very difficult, or not difficult, very different. Um, there's always something to do. There's always something on. There's even traffic. There's a buzz around every place. It's, it's a, in general, it's a small city with a, with a, with a lot of people. It's small, I mean, size-wise or distance-wise. So there's always something to do. It's very easy to get around. Um, whereas at home, for me, it was a lot slower. Like at the weekend, there's, there's not a... A huge amount to do in, in Armour during the week or, or even at the weekends, you know. So so I found that a uh, big change, the pace of life, uh, stuff to do all the time. Um, and, and work, as I said already, is a totally different culture and it, it took me a long time to, to get my head around it. The brunches can be a bit of a bit of a <laughs> distraction, right? Um, <laughs> you know what? Living in Dubai, you were obviously here. You know, I'm only over here recently enough, but you were here doing COVID. Um, 
how did you find it work from home and and um you know doing a bit of training and things because you remind me like the type of person obviously you know you, you played inter-county for a long time it wasn't the case you stopped training and looking after yourself straight away you know it's probably part of your daily life is that you're constantly doing something every day yeah yeah so i'm here two and a half years now or about that i arrived at the end of april 2019 so two and a half years yeah but um, I suppose the, the first bit COVID, I found it uh, very hard in in the at the at the start. Uh, the uncertainty of everything, the, the work went very quiet. Like we work in, looking after facilities, and when they're empty, there's not a whole lot to do, and, and it just went very quiet. So there was a lot of uncertainty at that time. So that brought its own stress, and then the fact that you couldn't go and meet people, you were I, we were locked down in the apartment for for a few weeks and, and couldn't leave, and when when we realized how serious it was here. So I found that very hard because I, I don't like uh, sitting still and, and not have something to do or going out for a walk or, or going to the gym or a run or, or whatever. And I found that hard. Um, honestly, it was tough. Um, but then I think once we got over the initial um, stages of COVID, I think uh, Dubai and, and UAE in general has been uh, one of the best places to be because things quickly started opening up again. You had sports places opening up again and you had bars and restaurants opening up although they were limited in, in numbers and keep your distance and all that but at least you could get back to some normality a lot earlier than than you would in other places yeah no definitely definitely and it's it's like how did you feel how did you deal with you know we say those intense that intense period when you were completely locked down how did you keep up your exercise and i suppose the biggest thing i like to ask people is from the mental health perspective yeah well look at it i tried to keep active but we're in a one-bedroom apartment uh, 950 square foot there's not a whole lot you can do um yeah. i tried to do some home workouts just to keep keep uh Keep, keep going a little bit and, and try to kill the, the time somehow. But um, yeah, like, well, from, from a physical point of view, it was hard to, 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 to do much. But from a mental point of view, it was, yeah, we were in lockdown. But in general, I found different things to do. Like I started listening to different podcast stuff that I didn't listen to before, doing different, different types of research that, that I didn't do before. So mentally, I was... Part of the times when we weren't allowed out of the apartment, mentally I was probably okay and, and found uh, the time good to, to reset and, and look at, at different things. Um, so I tried to learn a bit of Arabic and, and I listened to a few podcasts on history of sport and, and stuff like that, which I found very interesting, which I probably wouldn't have done if, if life was like it is now, you know? What would your, what would your takeaways be from that period? Because look, a lot, I, I probably speak for a majority of people were a different person now than we were before COVID? I think uh, I think one of the most important things, Jamie, is to try and live life on, on, on your terms and try and make life work, work for you now. And, and I, I say that by, if you want to work from home, I think you can push to work from home. If you want to change your career, I think you can go and change your career now. I think it has give people a switch or, or a stop to really think about things and, and think about what they want to do. Um, earlier this year, I went home for a month and, and worked three weeks remotely from, from Ireland, and that was perfectly fine. 
Um, I think there's an awful lot of time not wasted now, sitting in a car, traveling, sitting on flights, traveling to meetings, where, whereas um, two years ago or, or that, you could be flying all over the Gulf here to, to go to a meeting where you know you have it on, on Teams for 30 minutes or on Zoom for, for 30 minutes or an hour. Um, so I think people have got smarter and, and respected their time uh, mm-hmm. a lot better. Definitely, no, definitely, definitely. Look, let's let's bring you back to the, the earlier days. Um, you know, I like to allow listeners and, and give them an insight into the, into our guests. Um, so, do you think experiences of your youth would and has shaped you into the person you are today? If so, how? Oh, um, <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> I told you it'd be tough, like so. I prepared you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I definitely think so. Like, I come from a very small community, so I will never lose that sense of community. I'll never lose that sense of all my or some of my best friends who were were with me uh, right through my through my youth. So, so yeah, I'll never use that, lose that. Um, Also, in my school, there was we had a really small school at the time. Uh, there was three people in my class when, when I started. Jesus. So there's not too many classes that small. So, so you really kind of had to fin for yourself. So I would say, and, and plus our community is, is sports mad. So that was obviously going to, going to rub off me as well. So yeah, since yeah. community sport is something I've carried right through from, from when I was a child. And, did, you know, as a child, did you play different sports or was it just Gaelic football? Uh, I'd probably try my hand at anything, Jamie, when, when I was young buck, but I really played, played soccer. Uh, it's soccer with, we had quite a good team underage, but I, I stopped playing probably around 14 or 15 to concentrate on Gaelic football and, and hurling as well. So I played hurling oh. with Toreen and played a, a bit with Mayo underage as well um, with hurling and continued them to on up until... Uh, probably shortly after a call in with Mayo, I kind of had to make a call, and um, I was still tipped away at hurling a small bit, but it was football that took took number one from from there on. A little bit of rugby in the winter, but it was only a pastime. Like we were never we were never any good, or, or never really knew the rules anyway. So but I played a few rugby games, not not much. You, uh, were you Peter Stringer, or Conor Murray, or you know, <laughs> or Johnny Sexton, oh, whatever? No, no. <laughs> First game I played was flanker, and then I ended up out in the back line. And no, it was a few of us that was footballers that would be thrown in, and we'd be athletic, and we could run around and carry the ball. But as rooks and offsides go, we, we hadn't a clue. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then I always find this interesting chatting to, to people. Um, how you know sport at that age is vital for for kids, and it's probably you don't really realize it at the time. But do you think they complemented each other with say soccer? football hurling and and uh, and rugby yeah definitely well the positional sense of a, of a soccer uh, team and, and how you move as one or, or shift from from side to side i think that's probably become more prevalent even in gaelic uh, in the last few years you attack together you, you defend together and i think soccer is quite tactical um i think hurling is a bit more gung-ho uh, like like football used to be um but football has certainly changed a lot. Rugby, I didn't really play enough to 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 bring the technical side into it. But uh, it's other sports I would have loved to play or, or should have played when I was younger. Like athletics wasn't really a huge thing. 
uh, where we were. So if you had athletics, I know now kids play, kids play everything. I have nephews that are playing something every night of the week. Um, also golf is something I ne never tried at all when I was a young lad and, and uh, I play a little bit now and only started playing during COVID. So it passes some, some hours as well and some days here. So, it's, so that's good. But uh, to answer your question, yeah, I think soccer is, it gives a, a good perspective on, on the tactical side of it and, and how the movement should, should work as a, in, a, in a team game. Yeah, no, definitely. It, it, I suppose the point is, you know, it is important for kids to play as, as much as they can, um, you know, because it, it does develop you at a, at a young age. Uh, look, let's let's talk about the elephant in the room, um, Mayo. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, 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 nice. 20, 25 minutes there, we didn't open our mouth about it, so we'll talk about it now. Um, There's nothing new. <laughs> look, um, obviously, the the Mayo, the Mayo, look, Mayo are doing very well, but they just can't seem to get over the line. But we'll chat about that in a couple of minutes. Your debut and breaking onto the Mayo scene, um, you know, was it something you always dreamed of, you know, from a young age, or, or was it kind of just something that happened that you're actually gifted? Um, no, it was something I, I dreamed about. Like, and football was always my number one, even growing up, uh, right through the ages. I always played football, played a minor for one year and played. Two years under 21. Um, but I never thought that things would have happened as quick as they did at the time because I was nowhere near the panel. And next thing, um, played Sigerson game for IT Sligo against Mayo and O'Mahony was manager. Um, played all right. And uh, next thing, maybe on the Thursday before my 21st, on the Saturday night, I could call in for the, my debut on the Sunday. So uh, that put a Spanner in the works for my 21st. But anyway, <laughs> my debut, the, my debut the, the next day against Galway in the league game. Came on for 20 minutes. So, so I was delighted with that and made my first start in a week later up in Tyrone. Um, and made my championship debut, debut later on that year in Sligo uh, in championship. Would you came in? Would you like? Would you have been on the team? Um, you you would have been around the same age as Aidan O'Shea, were you? Would he be around the same one age? Year older, one year older than Aidan, yeah. Yeah, so you you know you, you probably would have been in there with a few of your friends at the time, and I suppose most of the guys you would have played with are gone now, were they? Bar Bar Aiden. Yeah, well, I'm making you sound very old now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were, yeah, not that old. No, me and <laughs> I only messed with you. <laughs> we, we we had a quite a good age or a good group at our age. Now we never did anything at minor or under twenty one, but Jason Doherty, Kevin McLaughlin. Leroy, um, Neil Douglas, uh, Aidan and Rob Enley was a year under us. Carl Freeman was a year under us. Um, Jason Gibbons was the same age, all 1989. So we had a very strong group that, that made up a lot of the Mayo team when, when I was there. Um, I'm probably missing some people as well, but uh, they're the ones that, that kind of spring to mind. So a few of them still hanging on there. Kevin and Lee are still there. Uh, absolute phenomenal athletes on fairness like you know you yeah. saw the lead there against uh you know against dublin semi-final just absolutely yeah. amazing um yeah. Yeah. you know the, yeah, yeah the, the massive game look the, the big thing is i'd love to gain your insight into how the intercounty scene really grew during your time with mayo Do you know i suppose from the the early 10s um, you know, when you start off with the minors and then obviously into the inter-county scene, the senior side, 
you know, I suppose it it's definitely it's it's very much professional now, isn't it? Or was it very did it take over much of your life back then in the early days? If you know what I'm trying no, to I say, I just I'd like to just gain insight into how you know it kind of it evolved since then. I did, it did, yeah. In fairness, it, it took a big turn. Like Kerry dominated in, in the noughties with, with Tyrone, but uh, when I came into it, you still had it was kind of a bit of a transition the first year, but then once Donegal came and brought their defensive game, it kind of evolved it an awful lot and got much more tactical, seemed like overnight uh, to me. But from our point of view, yeah, like we developed a lot in that time as well. Uh, came up against the Dublin, the, probably the best team, or definitely the best team of all time, and, and that's uh, time as well, along with uh, Kerry and Donegal, who were, who were fantastic. And it just seemed like we were always playing one of them teams, and it end up being a, a cracker. Um, which yeah, they definitely like. I, I even remember probably in the eleven when James came in, and, and even every year. The demands were getting a little bit higher, but we started from a big base. Like we would have been training four or five times a week anyway. It just got more and more and fitter and stronger and stronger for every year along that. But we were at an age where we were willing to do to do anything um, to try and get an age or to get stronger or faster or get better. So yeah, it's evolving. But I think now it's probably uh, well, sports science is obviously getting better every year as well and evolving. So I think it's more. Uh, Players are so very well conditioned now. It's, it's more about recovery and, and rest in the body and being ready to go. Whereas probably back then it was more, 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 I would say. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. It, it, that's actually a good comparison now, yeah. It's, uh, you see some of the, the footballers now, they're like rugby players and they're, you know, <laughs> they're running a serious pace. They're massive beast of players. And same with the hurling guys, the Limerick team, they're, you know, they're in serious shape yeah. altogether. Um, they're like that uh, all year round now. So yeah, yeah, they're they're the way of life, more or less. Now it's the way of life. Yeah, they won't be having too many Guinnesses, or if they do, <laughs> it'll be long going off them. Um, <laughs> you know, I suppose the biggest thing is how did you balance family and relationships back then? Like, because I, I love to gain insight into time management because that's a big thing I like to get from players who would have played at a, at a top level. Um, you know, it's it's easy, obviously, to write everything down the day. Of, of of whatever you know for the week but it's it's e- it's even easier to to skip it you know how do you keep yourself in check you know what um when, when i look back now and, and i think of what what we did and up and down like it, it it's actually crazy when you think about it um, when i try and explain that to people here or in work like they some of them know that i played a certain level of football but they never really understand the, the commitment that goes into it in, in an amateur game so when i look back now it, it sounds a bit crazy and when i try to explain explain to people they, they think i'm crazy as well um but no looking back at the time i kind of didn't really think about it too much um obviously my, my family were, were proud that i was involved and i was home every weekend so from that point of view they were probably happy to see me but like my girlfriend and Jessica, who was living in Dublin at the time, so we would be working all week, probably training three of the four nights I'd stay in Dublin. So looking back, we, we didn't really spend that much time together. And then she would normally stay in Dublin at the weekends and I'd be gone. So um, that was, at the time, as I said, I, I didn't really realise that. But looking back, it was probably, well, it's selfish, but it's... Uh, 
it's uh, it's uh, kind of a way of life in this. It's a way of life that you're kind of get into. You know, yeah, it's an environment. Level, yeah, well. in, in which, uh, yeah, yeah. But looking back at it, yeah, it's been. Uh, you know, one thing that really, you know, is out of my mind, and it'll go down as one of the the greatest games I ever was ever at was the Mayo and Doug, Mayo and Kerry game in fourteen in Crow Park, and obviously the Reap Dead in in uh, the Gaelic Grounds. What were, what were your memories of that? Because I know you came on in the Gaelic Grounds. I think was it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I started the game in Dublin. Um, yeah, like I thought we were home and host in Dublin. I think we were four or five points up and Kerry come back. But that's the way it is. It was going home at that time and it was win by six or, or draw or, or lose. Like, you know, it was just uh, it was the way both teams played at that time. And yeah, uh, I don't remember a whole lot about that game, but the one in Limerick, yeah, I came on to Killian and Aiden clashed heads just before half time. I came on at half time, played a bit, and then Killian came back on and I came on, I think, an extra time or maybe just before the end. Um, and what I remember is us going two points ahead and having the chance to go further ahead. Um, didn't go ahead, and then Kerry came back and I don't know, it was hit five points unanswered for for the rest of the extra time. So, yeah, it's a bit of a blur, but it was very disappointing at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember a big fight at the end as well, and I was I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the middle of it. That's what I remember. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but that was naivety on our, on our side because we probably wasted uh, four or five minutes there and played into Kerry's hands and I think the ref blew it up at the end of that so yeah it's uh, very disappointing yeah it was a classic and Higgins and who was bouncing off each other and probably produced a classic between themselves uh, which yeah, ultimately it was disappointing for us for us yeah how it, how it ended yeah I know definitely definitely but I suppose from you know the spectator point of view is it was Jesus and the sun what even made it better that day in the Gaelic grounds is the sun was beaming down on, on everyone you know it's such a great atmosphere Um, before yeah. I forget it like I, I love to like when people over here ask me about you know they're obviously on about football so football is soccer as we know it but how do you explain Gaelic football to people from different countries? I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to show them a YouTube clip and say that and they're kind of wowed by it. So oh, it's like rugby or it's like, uh, they don't even know Aussie rules here. So it's very hard to compare it to that as well. Uh, so generally it's, uh, you call it Irish football and some of them that's into sport will look it up and, and they'll see it. But it's interesting. We were playing in Sharjah a few weeks ago for, for the Whitecats. And uh, I work with a lot of different nationalities. It's one guy from, from India who is really into sport and played a, a good level of soccer himself. But he is always on to me about Irish sport or Irish football, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, we're playing up at the weekend. Come up and have a look. So he landed up with himself and his wife and, and three kids to watch the GA tournament uh, a few weeks ago. And then another guy from, from Lebanon that works with me was asking me as well and he lands up and watches the final I don't know if you were there or not but, uh, oh Jesus yeah, yeah. so Indian family and uh, Lebanese guy up watching us and uh, in charge a few weeks ago and what, were the, what was the feedback what was the like how did they break it down you know when they were chatting to you <laughs> they didn't know what to make of us they were, they were saying why, why are you pulling and dragging off each other all the time why are you fighting all the time falling over near you and they couldn't understand it Oh, no, they, they were impressed with the athleticism and the speed of the game and, and the, 
the points that were scored. Like, the standard is, is pretty good out here. So uh, when they were watching the senior games, they were fairly impressed. Jeez, that's amazing. That's great to hear that the way, you know, it's, it's obviously grabbing the attention of, of other, you know, other countries and other na- nationalities. Um, I'd like to just gain your insight into, you know, when you stepped away from the panel in, in 17, what was it like watching as a supporter, you know, rather than being on the field or in the in that in that bubble? Yeah. Um, was it hard to come to terms with for a while? For me personally, Jamie, it wasn't really because I was uh, content with my decision at, at that time. Um, I just wasn't enjoying it. I, I needed a break. Um, as I said, work and travel. I was working and I could have been in Waterford, Cork, Belfast, Oma, anywhere trying to get back for training in Dublin. So for me, I just kind of lost the enjoyment of it. Um, I wanted to, to, to recharge a little bit and, and to enjoy myself a little bit as well. So for me, yeah, it's a tough decision, but, but I kind of, once I make a decision, I kind of stick by it and, and kind of, I wouldn't really be one for, for looking back either. So once I stepped away, that was it. I, I drew the line in the sand and, and I became a supporter. And I went to I went to a lot of games when I was not playing club football or, or when I was at home or, or even in Dublin. I went to a lot of games. The All Ireland final in seventeen as disappointed as as, as anybody to see me all, uh, lose lose by by such a small margin. So for me personally, no, it, it was I was happy with my decision. I went back in eighteen, um, so I got the hunger back after a while out. Um, spoke to Stephen during the winter and. I had an injury that I needed to get cleaned up and I played the, well, I trained for the whole week, but I only, or for the whole uh, spring, winter and spring. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, he, he let me go then, then after the league in, in 18. So, so that, was, that was really it. But yeah, at 17, I was quite content because I needed a break. I couldn't continue with the way I was going because the enjoyment was, was gone, essentially. Was the plan, if he kept in, in, in his plans to commute from... From Dubai, from Dubai back and over because you were in Dubai then, were you? No, no. This was uh, I moved to Dubai nineteen. This was the spring of eighteen. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, but that's that's amazing. Yeah, even so. To be honest, really, it was probably fatigue and and work probably kind of took over. Was it that yeah. that kind of resulted that it faded that depleted your your hunger and you probably couldn't get to training and stuff like that and not yeah, on a yeah, combination of that but the, the main thing was the enjoyment the buzz was wasn't there yeah it may have been fatigue it may have been but I, I felt the winters used to be very short as well because you'd only be finished um and then you'd be back in the gym or you'd be back training again and you never really had time downtime i felt at that time or, or not not, mm-hmm. not enough of it um plus yeah the, the, the travel and and sometimes my my game time on the pitch was short as well in some of them seasons. So I had to kind of weigh it all up and, and uh, that's, that's what I did. And I just made a decision to take a step back for a while, but I was ready to go in 18 again. But uh, yeah, unfortunately didn't, things didn't work out. But I, I continued to play club football all the time. Like, uh, which I really enjoyed playing club football. I believe you still, well, pre-COVID, you were still making trips back, were you? Uh, tactically months here and there. Well, I so the year I left, so I, yeah, okay, so the year I moved here, my f- okay, so I was late coming over here. I was meant to start early. My my dad got sick and, and he passed away, so my start date over here was was pushed out a bit. So I, 
I ended up playing one championship game before I left against Westport in, I don't know, maybe April 2019. And we drew that, so I had it always in my head to go home and, and see my mom anyway in, in, in August. So I timed it around getting the second championship game in. And I played that one as well, and we ended up drawing with Ballina. So I played two games that, that first year I came over. I wasn't going to make it home for the third game, and we ended up uh, losing to Castlebar by a point or two, I think, if I remember right. And ended up uh, finishing third, so the season was over. The next year there was COVID, so I, I didn't, didn't travel at all. Obviously, you know, couldn't really. But this year I, I played two games as well. Well, I came on and won and, and played, uh, played one game this year in September, October. So I went home for, for a month in the middle of September, as I said to you earlier, and got a couple of games then. I got played a junior game and came on in a senior championship game and, and played one full senior championship game. So I was delighted to get that chance. Brilliant, uh, brilliant, brilliant. And look, you, you would have been involved or you would have trained under a lot of top managers. You know, you um, you mentioned Mahoney there and you mentioned, you know, obviously you, you Stephen and you had a... James, um, and even your club managers and your managers over here you're dealing with, and even in the working life, what qualities do you think need, what, what qualities do you like in a manager um, that you think get the best out of players, whether it's strong communication skills or whether it's, you know, showing empathy or, or just leadership or what, you know, if, if you, do you kind of understand what I'm trying to, to ask? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's different from from work to, to football, but fundamentally is is if 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 you have honesty and, and integrity, it, it goes a long way um, in, in in work and, and in sport. Um, but I suppose going go back to sport, yeah, it's, it's uh, leading by example, communication, um, trusting players to to do a job or, or trusting them when. When you're picking teams and that, um, I think is is important. Uh, plus, plus loyalty and is is a good trait as well, or a very important trait. Um, I think James was very good at trusting young players to do the job and giving them a challenge to, to do a job. And you'll see that even now or in the last couple of years, like he's not afraid to, to throw in to throw in young players and, and um, let, let, let 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 them. Uh, do do what they do best. Okay, I think also to try and like I know sometimes is very negative press around football and if results go wrong or that. But I think if you can put confidence into players and Tony Buckley was very good at this, uh, oh, just yeah. kind of challenging you, um, giving you pointers here and there, but telling you you're playing well and to do this and do that. And, uh, I think he was very good at that. So, yeah, I think confidence is also a big one and, and encouragement. Um, I know some players react differently. Um, I think if you can have a culture of, of improvement and, and a good um, and good encouragement and feedback, it's, it goes a long way. Tony Buckley was definitely a very evident stamp on, on Mayo, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. But he was one of the main reasons why we were late back to Dublin all the time. Be a long time out on the beach. Oh yeah, was it a, a case that everyone just had good time for him? That he was, you know, good people's person, and still obviously is a good people's person. That he can read the players. Yeah, but he lives and breathes football as well, and he's very he sees things that, that others don't. Um, and tactically, he's good. Coaching wise, he's he's excellent. Um, superb, like. Uh, 
but yeah, like his sessions, you will definitely feel it when, when you come off the pitch, and that's probably why we were uh, fit and, and um, fit and strong, and, and probably um, I don't know athletic as well because his his his, his physical training was was it was. It was it was almost all, I would say, all of it, all of his trainers will be done with the ball. All of us, tackling, 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 the small-sided games, different drills, it's all done with the ball, which I think is fantastic. And I think we can get caught up sometimes in too much uh, conditioning runs and, and this type of stuff. Um, but that's a personal opinion. But, uh, yeah, I think his... Uh, his drills and his football coaching was, was fantastic for us at the time. You, um, did you ever play in, in New York or did you ever, you know, travel to New York with, with Mayo? I did. I did. I traveled three times. Two championship and one FPD. FPD, oh yeah. Did, did, did uh, you play in FPD, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And when I started off first, we, we, well, we had two trips. So I was playing a hurling final one year and I didn't go. And the next year we went and it was a great trip, I guess. You play the FBD final, but it's um, it's like a breakaway for for a weekend, you know. Whereas when you go with championship, it's it's different. The first time we went in championship, I think it was the year after London gave us a scare. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. two years after that, maybe one or two years, but uh, we got the scare in London, so everything was precision up until the game, and then after the game, you you have that night and you enjoy it, but you're flying back the next day. But um, there was no messing at all uh, before the game. You know, it was very serious training and everything was on time. Diet, meals, all was planned. Like, uh, so there was no, make sure there was no slip up like, like we nearly got caught in London. And then the second championship game was fantastic as well. And I was injured first, so, <laughs> so I didn't even play, but I was there. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, uh, and I wouldn't have really understood it until I actually experienced um, a championship game. Well, I wasn't at the game, but I experienced London the weekend, mm. sorry, no, New York, the weekend of um, New York Mayo Cup two years ago now, and the place was buzzing with Mayo, Mayo flags and every at every corner of the, you know, the junctions, you see, uh, of the streets, obviously, you see uh, a red and white, uh, sorry, a red and green jersey, so, you know, you, yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was it was phenomenal, like, and it was an awful day as well, the day that, that game was on. But still, it didn't dampen the spirits. You know, it was, it was, it's something really what the GA is about. And unfortunately, it's probably going to take another couple of years until, you know, yeah. the teams can do that again. What's, do you have any I standout think, memories of, of, uh, of New York, whether it's on the field or in establishments over there? <laughs> um, well, I was just going to say before we go into that, um, I think the, the trips that the Connacht teams have to New York and London is great for the people in the counties that they can plan a trip away and a weekend away and it's all carnival and, and it's great but it's also brilliant for the people living in New York and the Irish people living in London that they get to have a day like that where, where a team comes to town and they get to see players up, up close in person so, so I think yeah I think it's great especially in New York when they don't get home as often as, as you might in London um, any standout memories as I said to you, nobody no. listens to this, so it's all right. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> uh, not really. Uh, you know, like we, we used to, as I said, like the championship days were, were quite serious. So you wouldn't do anything until after the game. And, and then you go for a few beers and you enjoy Times Square and, 
in a room in Manhattan and it's great and you end up in a pub and, and club and it's it's great but I don't think of anything uh, anything too too major happened in, 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 in them trips that's brilliant brilliant and look what was the biggest adjustment for you when you stepped away from the inter-county scene um, you know was it the lack of meeting the, you know a team environment or was it you know keeping to a diet and all that kept crack um I don't know. Yeah, like I missed the, the buzz around the Mayo lads and, and and the laugh we used to have in training and, and outside of training in the professional environment. But to be honest, it was a bit more freedom f- for me. So I wouldn't have to be in X place by X time, five times a week that I could manage my time a lot better. I could plan other stuff to do. And I was still training probably as many times as I was with Mayo, but I was just doing it on my own terms and on my own time, and I was playing club football. So there wasn't a huge amount of difference. I think I'm uh, disciplined enough in my diet as well, so that, that didn't change a, a, a whole lot. Um, but no, I, I felt a sense of freedom and, and being able to manage my own time a, a lot better. And obviously the bits that I missed, that being around the dress room and, and the big days in Castle Bar or wherever, Crow Park, like I'd missed them, obviously. Um, but to be honest, no, I was, uh, I was okay. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you kind of answered the next question, but I'd still like to get your, uh, you know, your opinion on it. That, you know, I've spoken to a lot of retired players, um, and I throw this to them. Um, that, how did you deal with that? You know, that change of identity from being the Alan Freeman, the male footballer, to ex-male footballer. You know. I, but I kind of get this feeling that you were content with your decision, so it didn't make much of a, a difference, or did yeah. it? Yeah, and then and honestly, honestly, uh, Jamie, not 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 really, not because it was my decision, and, and well, the first one was my decision, the second one was 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 Stevens, but uh, yeah, it was, it was okay as well. But no, honestly, because I have I have a lot, I had a lot more going on than, than just football, like football. Yes, I put a lot into it and, and I loved it and, and tried my best at everything. But my career was, was important to me as well. So I had that going and, and was eager to keep that on track. And also a, a family and personal life and, and keeping up with friends is, is important to me as well. So to be honest, I didn't have any identity crisis at, at all like uh, because I had other, other interests. If, if I had... I don't know if I had nothing else going on or, or I was totally dedicated to football. Maybe it was, uh, maybe it might have been uh, more difficult, but honestly, I was, was quite content. Oh, I, I suppose you're always dedicated to football, but it's just, um, yeah, I think you're at the stage yeah, yeah. of your life. You're... I, probably a, a switch flicked with me probably after final in 13 when, when up to that point I was still studying and everything was kind of revolved around football and, and then during that winter in 13, I was kind of thinking, well, maybe there's more important things than, than, than football. Um, and then in 15, I probably moved to Dublin with the, the career progression. So that was kind of, still gave everything to football, but there was other things going on that were just as important, um, I would say. You see, prior to COVID, you see actually there's a huge amount of guys taking a step away from the inter-county scene to go travelling. Um, Looking at that, could you blame them? Um, no, no, I couldn't. People have to live their life as well and, and make their decisions. And we all want to be competitive and, and 
compete at the highest level. And, and you do that. You even see successful teams like the Dublin lads take, taking a step back. I think, I think there's twofold here. I think personally, yeah, if, if you've had an offer or you want to travel or, or take a break to recharge, then fair enough, do it. But I do think there's a sense in a lot of counties, wh- why am I doing this? I'm not going to win a provincial. I'm not going to win in All-Ireland. I will, okay, I can compete in the league and possibly have one or two good days in, in, in the summer in championship, but I would say a lot of them are saying, what, what's the point? Um, and um, I would say that's some, some of their decision as well. And I'm sure they're committed to their club and, and the county when they're there, but it's, uh, it's easier to stay if you're competing, at the, competing for trophies. Do you, but you know, even, yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say, even, even at that, uh, people in Tyrone or Mayo or wherever, Kerry or Dublin, just like to take a step away at times as well. Mm-hmm. No, definitely, definitely. And do you think there is, you know, obviously from you're a spectator now, but put yourself into, into the shoes of, of those players in, in counties that wouldn't be, look, they're all obviously competing for the All Ireland, but you know, for Sam Maguire, but that wouldn't be the top six or whatever in the in the country. Um, do you think there's a place for a B competition? You know, there was proposals there a couple of weeks ago. Do you think it's something that should be done down the line? What template is obviously still to be decided, yeah. but do you think it's good to have a conversation around it? I think it has to happen, Jamie. Uh, it's probably, yeah, we, we need to find the right format or, or a format that's almost correct, but I think it has to happen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we won intermediate with, with my club in 2008, I think, or 2009, and that's still one of the major highlights for me in my sporting career, to win, to win at your level with, with, with your friends. So um, I think it's, it has to come in, yeah, at some stage to, to, to give people something to aim at. And if you progress through your level, you go up to the next level and you test yourself against the, the next standard. The Kells, Dubai Kells. Yeah, um, yeah. Why did you choose choose the Celts and not uh, other teams in the in the area that I believe were were obviously interested in, in getting you on the books or getting you training in a yeah yeah um well, to be honest I didn't really know what clubs are out here to be honest I knew Kenny O'Malley played in, in Abu Dhabi and I knew uh, two or three guys involved in the Celts and to be honest that was, that was almost the sum total of it. So when we came over here with Mayo uh, and the team holiday in, in 2012 and 13, we played Dubai Kels in an exhibition game out, out in the sevens. And I still have the jersey from that. So from my when I was coming out here, I wasn't really thinking about GA or about football. Like, but I knew like Tom King from Castlebar and Stephen Kane from Castlebar. There's a good few, few Mayo lads in, involved with the Kels and a guy from me that I was in college with playing as well. So I think I was kind of signed up by them before he even came out. But to be honest, I didn't get, I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of any other clubs or they didn't come, come, come looking or, or anything like that. So, but I was always going to play with the kids. And right, you know, you've played in the county, you know, for X amount of years. You played a high standard, and you know, you you come to the Kells, you know, yeah. For example, you come to any team in Dubai, and you're playing with sixty odd lads from different standards. Did that kind of annoy you that some guys might be putting in, putting in as much um, commitment and effort as you know as that you as you would expect, or were you 
huge kind of effort for crack really because you know sometimes the competitor in, in people can never yeah, windle yeah. you know I, like, it was definitely a bit of both but my first impression was I couldn't believe there was 60 lads out for training because in your club at home my club you struggle to get 10 or 12 sometimes during the week so to come out here and get 60 lads and it's one of one of four clubs in Dubai now so I couldn't I couldn't get over the numbers whatsoever but yeah it was a bit of both to answer your question uh, you certainly do have to have a bit of patience until you find your level and, and the juniors start playing the juniors and the seniors start playing the seniors. But definitely when when you get to the top level here, it's very, very competitive and the standard is very good. So you get that competitive uh, juices back and, and you get uh, you get the physicality and you get the you get the, the movement and, and the pace in the game. And it's, uh, I, uh, it really opened my eyes, the, the, the standard when, when I came over there. Can you just briefly explain how different it is to, you know, what it is at home? Because here it's, you know, it's not 15 aside. No, the game here is, is played in a rugby pitch. So obviously not, not as big as a Gaelic pitch. So you have to drop down the numbers. So it's a nine aside game. And... Um, the games are short. They're seven minutes a half, sometimes 10 minutes a half in finals, but they're played in, in tournaments. So you have five tournaments every year spread through the winter. Um, and it's like, a, it's like a blitz. So you could play like the last two tournaments we played. We, we got to the final. We played five games in, in, in a day. So you're warming up, playing, cooling down, warming up again and playing. And, um, I suppose I'm not getting any younger either, so it's taking longer and longer to, re- to recover. I'd say it was two or three days uh, limping around after the last tournament. So uh, the, the tournament days are, are very tough, actually. And they, you have the heat in during the day, like you could start at 12 o'clock and you could be playing right through till, till half six or seven in the evening. So tournament days are, are long days and they're tough. Going up in Bahrain, you won, you won, was it the last two you competed in or was I'm getting mixed up yeah. with the juniors? Oh, was the last two... Yeah, we were we were very lucky actually. We struggled out of the group in the last two two tournaments. We ended up uh, winning both of them um, by a, a point or two in, in in each game. But we should have been knocked out in the group stage of, of both of them. But this is Chevy. The last final we played in Bahrain, um, whatever a week or ten days ago. In the final we played Abu Dhabi, and they had three ex inter county players. And we had three ex intercounty players in our team. So if you take that, it's nine aside, and you have six ex intercounty players playing. It's uh, it shows what the standard is, and some of them boys are are still in their prime, like 27, 28, 29, like you know. What well, lads with the Celts, yourself, and who are the other two guys? The three lads in our team: myself, Andy Doyle, played at Wexford uh, back in the day. Uh, and Shane Cloran landed out this year straight off championship with Roscommon and then on the other side you have Scott Oates, Keane Connolly and Simon Kilbride all Roscommon ex-Roscommon senior footballers so that's six uh, and then the, the other lads are not far off inter-county standard in, in their own counties or may have played at, at different levels so first you had Kenny O'Malley who's ex-Mayo goalie who wasn't there the last day but he'd normally play for Abu Dhabi so you could have had actually seven you know, when you when you when you think about it, can you bring us through that game? Like how you know how come? Because when this episode now go, goes out, it'll probably be um, probably around the week of Christmas. So guys, would be love to listen back to 
the memories of that uh, that game. Um, it was obviously, you know, the, the tournament started early in the day and it was in the evening, then the final was on. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So it started, if I remember right, our first game was around maybe half 12, one o'clock time. We won the first one by a point, lost the second one by a point and lost the third one by a point. Um, so we thought we were out. We thought we were gone in the group stage, but whatever happened, the team that was bottom bet the next team and we ended up going through to the semi-final and score difference after losing two of our three games. So it was very tight. <laughs> semi-final, we played well and we won it by maybe three or four points. But only seven minutes a half now in them games. So if you get your, if you get ahead at all, it, it makes a, a big help. So I think we got an early goal um, to give us a cushion and, and we played well. We played quite well in the semi-final. Final in, very tit for tat. It was point for point in the first half maybe went 10 so the finals are 10 minutes a half so a little bit longer uh, it's rolling subs as well so you have a panel of 12 so you, you're in and you run hard while you're in and then you get off and you take your break and subs are a very important part of it actually if you use your subs properly then, then you can get uh, you can get a good advantage from that but yeah it was very tight Abu Dhabi you're traditionally the, the strongest team here um, over the last, I think, five or six years, and they've won almost everything. So, so they were good. Uh, second half, then coming right down towards the end, uh, uh, we got a turnover up high, and we got it to Clore, and, and he got a goal. And that put us up uh, maybe a point. I think we were two down, and that put us a point up. And then it was tit for that again. And when you're ahead, you can kind of sit back and hit in the counter-attack. So we did that, and I think we ended up getting another goal right at the end. Um, so that put us four up and I got a yellow card then so I was in the sin bin for the last 30 minutes or 30, 30 seconds Oh, uh, is it 30 seconds for the sin bin, is it? Yeah, a yellow card you're a 30 second No, a yellow card is a two minute sin bin but there was only a few seconds left oh. cynical enough like it should have been a, probably a black card but Anyway, I got Sean Cavan a job like, was it? Something like, well, not as great <laughs> as that but it's further out the field that was it, like, but it was a great celebration. I'm not sure if you've seen the clip. Bahrain Sports News had, had clips of it. The, one of their shakes was there to, to present the medals in the cup. Like, it was a fantastic uh, occasion. Like, a, a really big part of their, like, a member of the royal family there came to, to watch the finals and they had it on their main Bahrain Sports News and had drones up showing clips of the game. And it's interesting. Oh. Uh, Jerome Quinn from, you know, Jerome Quinn that, that does the, a lot of the overseas uh, camera work. He was there as well. And I think he put up the game on his maybe Instagram or, or Facebook page. Um, so it'll be there as well. Final, the ladies' final and, and the men's final. I think. And just to, to for you know for listeners that when you're playing the game, obviously it's it's um it's you can pass the half for a long. What's the rule there again? You can't keep. Yeah, I think they brought this in a few years ago, but as I said, it's a short game, and, and if you get your noses ahead, you can waste an awful lot of time. So they brought in a rule before I came over that if you cross the halfway line attacking, you can't come back across it. So I think if <clears throat> if people were or if teams were winning, they they just cross the line, and then if they they kick it back to their goalie and try and run down the clock, and I think the spectacle became uh, hard, hard to watch. I think. Mm. Yeah, no, so if you definitely. go two, two points up, you can. Like, the rugby pitch is quite big, like so it's very hard to to get hands on the tackler or to get a full press on because it's a big pitch and it's nine nine aside. Um, so I think it was a time wasting thing that they brought this rule in, but you can still 
if you're ahead, <clears throat> you will still see it quite often that um, teams will play around with the ball at their back line and bring their goalie out and have an extra man. And then eventually they, they'll make a burst and try and catch you on the counter-attack. But if teams are losing it, they have to come and, and press the ball and try to get a turnover. So it's still a bit defensive game. You know, if you have to describe, um, you know, obviously back in Ireland, the GA is, is a pivotal and essential part of every community and, you know, especially rural communities. Over here, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's quite important as well for the Irish network, isn't it? It's great, you know, it's great networking and it's great, uh, you know, events that beyond and it's great for, for Irish people. How, like, how would you describe the GA over here and how important do you think it is for people? Yeah, I, I think it's very important. I think it's a great outlet for people, as we said earlier, all standards. It doesn't matter if you're good or, or bad or, or whatever. There's, there's some English people that play, there's some Scottish people that play. And down through the years, I, I think there was different nationalities that played with people just to get out and be part of the community. It's a big thing. Like during COVID, you, you, we were talking earlier, and I found out it was one of the hardest things that, 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 that we missed, not being able to go down, even for a five-side soccer or or play anything. There was no sense of uh, team or no comp- competition. And um, I found that very difficult. But for Irish people here, you see piles of people coming over, looking for jobs, networking, as you said, it's, it's very important. Plus there's 60 people and could be training with us, but then there's other clubs. There's, there's two other clubs that would have, well, one of them would have similar numbers and then Kerry be a little bit smaller. And then you've a fourth club started up and that's, that's only in Dubai. So, the Irish community is a big Irish community here. And same in Abu Dhabi, you have the traditional Lafina club who are huge. And then you have a second one now starting up, Balareem, and probably room for a third one as well. So you will see um, the Irish community is very big uh, here. If it's, it's, mostly, the, it's most, mostly young people as well. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And, you know, it's, it's great. To, you know, obviously you have different clubs, you have different people and nationalities joining. Um, which is is great. And in, in your opinion, look, you mightn't be doing too much thinking about no, but what else do you think can be done for you know for um GA to develop and to grow in the Middle East? I think it's going the right direction, but what else could be you know to bring it to the next level? Um, well, I don't know. I think the, the influx of people are, are creating more Irish hubs all over the Middle East. I think there's a club in, in Cairo now in Egypt. So I think there's new teams popping up all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's going the right direction, as you said. Um, I know in Dubai Kells, there is a underage uh, set up. So I think that's a very important step. And I think that can be replicated in, in other places to, to get Irish kids that, that have parents that, 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 that they're settling here involved in GA and play it and, even there was a tournament on the other day and there was, uh, I don't know how many kids were, were there training uh, beside it, uh, maybe, I don't know, 40 or that, it looked like anyway. But um, I think that can that could be a great help to not only in Dubai, but in, in all the other cities that, that, that are setting up uh, big Irish communities. I know. Um, I think the, 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 the adult football and the ladies football and the hurling and camogie, I think it's just going to keep getting grower grow faster, grow more and more all the time. I think it would be good to have a, a full-size GA pitch here for, for, for some games, but uh, I don't know. We'll have to get some ground off the shake to, to build it. <laughs> yeah. 
But for the World Games in 2019, you know, obviously pre-COVID, um, Middle East had a team over. You know, in that regard, obviously a Middle East contingent going to Ireland would be great. But, you know, maybe there's some opportunity there for perhaps dollar and winners coming over here and, and doing kind of, you know, a, probably a, a weekend or, you know, a week here, like they do in New York, like they do in London, because, you know, Dubai is definitely a hub like that now for Irish people. I think that'd be fantastic. I think if if you could get uh, a festival here of football in Ireland, it'd be fantastic, because you'd get people in from all over the Gulf, all over the surrounding areas as well. I think that'd be fantastic. But to, to bring a Middle East team back to compete, uh, well, the World Games is fantastic. I don't know when the next one is, but um, I think the Middle East should be very strong at that now um, and will be very strong at it. But I think if you could put a Middle East team and, yeah, played in London or played in New York or had an exhibition like that, I think, we would, I think we'd hold our own, to be honest. I think we've... Uh, a good standard of, of player here, although we don't play 15 aside. Um, but as I said, you six, probably seven, could have been seven playing in the final, ex-Inter County players, along with other really, really good athletes, good footballers in, in the prime age from whatever, 25 to, to 30 or 32. Um, so I think, yeah, I would love to get the chance to, to compete against some something like that, like an exhibition or a, some some sort of tournament I think it would be great and I think the Middle East would definitely hold their, hold their own Hopefully post-Covid um, you know something like that would definitely be, be unreal or even like you know if you, like all Ireland winners coming over but then again would they be more you know off-season mode but yeah, I, yeah there's definitely opportunities there because obviously you know London and, and uh, New York are, all, are, are and always will be hubs for Irish communities but Dubai is definitely up and, up and coming so Definitely opportunities yeah. there, you know, for the Middle East. Um, I think we'd uh, put a Middle East team into the Munster Championship. Get, uh, <laughs> get, get, get them out for, for a weekend like they do in New York and London. Be good. This would be great crack, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Be, yeah. Step your class. Um, definitely, yeah, definitely get some sponsorship from the <laughs> higher, higher, uh, higher authority here. Um, yeah. look, we, we're, we're coming towards you now, um, and look, I appreciate taking time off because I know you've, you've a lot on. But look, Online abuse, online issues. Um, have you ever experienced any of that post matches? Uh, personally, no, no, not not really. Um, I, I wouldn't. I, I don't really read that much anyway. Especially if, if if I was playing, I wouldn't really be reading that much. I don't read the blogs. I don't, I don't read uh, the other things that go on. Like I do have a Twitter account and Instagram, and Facebook, but to be honest, I don't really use it that that much. Uh, I use Twitter for, for sports news and news from, from time to time but um, I wouldn't have a big I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time on social media to, to answer your question but after games and that not not really um, not, 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 not really but I do see it like the abuse that some people get is, is disgusting really mm-hmm. it should be controls and, and consequences for people that, that, that you sit behind a keyboard and, and abuse people blindly like it's such a cowardly thing to do and it's so easy to do it if, if, if you want to do it like but I think something will will have to be done um, it's a it's a really nasty thing to do uh, I'm not sure how it should be pleased I'm sure these big tech companies have, have ways to, to track people down or shut down accounts or track people but it should be a 
should be uh, nailed. Um, mm-hmm. Should should be nailed and, and set example of. Uh, definitely, you know, definitely, definitely, hundred percent. And look, today, who you've you know today, look back in your career and you know, obviously football and career and and your your um, you know your working career. Who has been the biggest biggest influence in in sports? Uh, I just been, as you said earlier, I've been involved with some some very good managers, coaches like Tony Bookie, as I said, was top notch coach. There, there was a man in my own club that, that managed me from, from when I was in to, to toddlers right up until senior a few years ago. So I would say he would probably have had the biggest influence on me. His uh, own club mate of mine, his name is Jimmy Lyons. He managed me right through. Eights, tens, twelves, and we, we had a very good team, and, and we competed at the top level of Mayo all through all through our underage, and that wouldn't have been common in, in our club. Uh, so we're a small club, and my agent, and the year after that, he had both ages, and we were both well, we lost two minor A finals, accumulating uh, that. But like he would have been a big influence, and he was always big on skills, 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 and, and coaching, and communicating with players about what should be done, how to do things right, how to do, how to get your technique right, how to be able to kick and hand pass off, off both sides. So I would say he was probably the, the biggest influence. What have you learned, you know, so far in your career, especially as living away from home? Because, you know, when you can be at home, it's, you're in that bubble, even in Ireland, you're in your comfort zone. What have you learned so far, you know, living in, in Dubai? Um, well, I, I do miss home uh, from time to time. Like it's, uh, I, I I always like going home and enjoy going home. But living here, I've learned a, a huge amount culturally. Um, as I said earlier, dealing with different people, just learning about people's backgrounds, really appreciate the education system that that we have at home. Um, and and the things aren't as people like to give out a lot i think and when you look back and like the irish people here um are in good stead when, once they arrive in, in a country like this or, or most countries in the world like a good very lucrative education system up to at the minimum eight, 18 to leave and start free education it's, it's a huge thing like not not everybody gets that um and irish people are well educated um well-mannered approachable and get get on with people a lot so i've learned that that's a it's a good trait that 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 we have as a as a country um i've also learned how to um kind of deal with uh adversity sometimes as well here like it's not that easy um sometimes and you have to find different ways to 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 get what you need to in, in in business and 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 in your private life so it's definitely been a challenge and it's opened my eyes up a huge amount probably one of the best decisions even though it was tough at the time to to move out here um, and to give it a go definitely definitely no it's it's good to get out of your comfort zone um what would you say that motivates you um what motivates me um I suppose to, to be successful, to, to try and do the best I can, um, to try and help people out when, when they're in trouble um, would be another one. But 
uh, I'm motivated by by doing well in, in my career and, and making friends, making good friends, and, and doing good as, as as a person, I suppose. Um, yeah, and, and to, to try and enjoy life uh, to the fullest, um, you know, to try and do the things that, that, that you enjoy doing. Perfect, no, definitely, definitely. And what would you say two non-negotiables? <laughs> that always catches people, like, I got outrageous yeah. comments. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I do. I do try to eat well. So I try to eat a good breakfast and, and eat well during the day. Most days I, I try to do that. And we do a, a lot of cooking at home as well. So I think you can eat out, but if you want to eat well, you, you generally have to look after yourself. So I, I'd like to do that. Um, what else? I suppose activity and keeping active. Like a, I don't like uh, not doing anything. So having no plan or having nothing planned and, and lazing around, doing nothing, wasting time. I don't like doing that, so I don't train every day, but I like to do some sort of activity, even get out for a walk or a bit of fresh air in the morning or in the evening or train a couple of times a week, do something like that. So probably to, um, yeah, to, to, to be active. But I suppose another one is to communicate with people and try and keep in contact with people uh, for me to, to communicate because... Um, if I if I don't do any training or, or I don't get to speak to people, I probably get cranky and, and and that. So I work in business development, so I I should be talking to people uh, quite often. <laughs> but even keeping in contact with the lads at home and family, I try to do that uh, as much as I can. And look, we're narrating now. Um, I know, I know I've always said that I've said that a few times during during the podcast. But toughest opponent and toughest team. Uh, well, the toughest team, there's a few of them, but uh, we can be the, the best team that ever was, so mm. it has to be Dublin. Um, during them few years, um, I suppose they, they got better uh, after I left in 17 as well. So we experienced them in, well, we, we got them in 12, actually. No, we got them in, yeah, we got them in 12 and then 13, 16, 17, we, we couldn't get them, but uh, yeah, D- Dublin was a, the toughest team, and um, they were they were just always found a way to win. That was it. Like Donegal were very tough, very hard to play against, especially when you're inside in the forward line and you're getting pinched and hit and that. But um, sometimes we bet them, sometimes we didn't. But Dublin just had a bench that they, they always had um, a bit extra coming down the stretch against us in, in them few years. You know, we got them back last year, which was great to see. Um, but for them few years, yeah, Dublin were undoubtedly the, the toughest and the best team. Um, what do you think? You know, what, why do you think Dublin stood out so much? Was it just the f- absolute firepower they had from the bench as well? I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. There were some games there, ten minutes to go or twelve minutes to go, and we're nick and nick with them, and they would get a get a a goal or a few points from the bench, and they had pace like then McCauley sometimes coming off, Kevin McMinnon coming off the bench, different players coming in, Costello coming in, like they, they had such depth of player, and they were, I think, psychologically as well, they, they, they always knew they had a bit extra, so they would always keep going and going and going. Um, yeah, so so they were they were very strong. Office of Poland. Yeah, a few of them. Uh, 
Marco Shea, she couldn't get a score off him. No, um, one, of, one of the best, yeah, one of the best cornerbacks. Yeah, yeah. Chrissy McCaig, very, very good. Um, hard score off him too. Michael Shields, I remember when, when I came on, oh, yeah. first on the scene, he was one of the best fullbacks. Um, even in, in our own trainings, like Jerk Haff, when he was in his pomp, was, we used to have some battles in training. Harry in my own club was, was very good. I'd probably give it to Marco Shea, to be honest. He was just just get a hand in or a finger in or a toe or something in and even if he wanted it was very hard to get away from him um, so yeah he, he was probably plus you know, was it him or Tommy gave me a dint in the ribs to, to welcome me into a, a game I think it was the semi-final maybe in 11 or something the first time I met him go up to catch a ball and into the ribs Tomas or was it Tommy Griffin was it or, or Mark no it was one of those years maybe it was Tomas I can't remember now <laughs> one of them anyway I got to catch a ball and came down and threw it my ribs oh jeez <laughs> um, no, some, some, some very good full backs around the last time but I suppose for, for a full forward around that time when, when Donny Gall brought in that system it was there wasn't much space in there so it uh, suit of full backs and, and defensive systems to bring everyone in and it was uh, probably corner forward and full forward is a difficult position to play because even if you won it you were surrounded by, by a lot of people normally so you just have to get it and get it out get, get rid of it straight away changed. yeah I think it's changed again recently so thankfully because it was hard to watch there you know for a couple of years um, yeah, I think it's going it's taking a, a good turn now again Um what do you think needs to be done or could be done for Mayo to get off the line? Because And I hate saying that because they've done so much and it's just that they, when they're in the final last couple of years, they were against one of the best teams ever. You know, that's the... Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard to, to pinpoint it, Jamie. I think if you go in and you perform well and you lose, then there's not a whole lot else you can do. Uh, if you have a break or two here and there, can win or, or lose the game. We've seen that. We've lost them by point. We, we've drew them. We've had two own goals. So once you do that, you can't... You just give it everything and, and that's it. You, you win or you lose. But I think the last one was disappointing because I was at home for it and we just never really got going. And Tyrone got ahead and, and once Tyrone get ahead, they're, they're very dangerous and they can see how the game probably as good as anyone. Um, so I think last year was disappointing. What do we have to do to get over the line, I don't know. I think we have the players. Uh, I know Oshin Mullen going now will be a major loss. But we have so many good young players uh, coming up in Mayo. So I think we, we will still have the players. I think we just need to get back there again and, and, and perform in a final as good as we can. And, and eventually we'll, we'll get the break or we'll get the, the couple of scores coming down the stretch that, that, that will win it for us. Um, I don't think we to change a whole lot. We just need to perform when, when we're there. We, in general, we do that. Um, but just now, the last one was disappointing because we, we didn't perform, I don't think. Um, oh, no, definitely. Look, I, I think we, we um, you know, it was, it was a shame the way it kind of finished. Um, and obviously, that's not taken away from, from Tyrone. They were, you know, they truly deserved, especially, you know, how they played yeah. against Kerry. And that's a hard enough yeah. thing to say. But, um, yeah, look, hopefully the next championship season will be enjoyable. Um, and look, I think we covered a huge amount. I'd like to just thank you for taking time out to come on the Inside View podcast. And look, best luck with everything going forward. And hopefully there'll be more silverware for the Celts in the next couple of weeks.
Please God. Thanks, Jamie. Good to talk to you. Thanks. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Alan. That is all from us on this week's podcast. Please do get in contact with the show if you'd like to contribute any way possible. Follow us on our social media. On Instagram, it's at underscore on the ball team building. Over on Facebook, it's on the ball team building. Over on Twitter, it's at we're on the ball two. That's the digit two. We're on TikTok, on the ball team building. And we're on LinkedIn, on the ball team building. You can also email us info at on the ball team building.com. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in again next week. We have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred on the fan. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.